having your two or three core friends that support you in your relationship, they support you in your career, they support you in your crazy wild adventures and your dreams, like those are the people that you need to be surrounded by and it's impossible to embody this Donna Sheridan type energy without that. everyone and welcome back to gumption i am your host lil and we are here with our 18th episode almost done with season one so i thought i would visit a highly anticipated topic for me to talk about and that is mama mia now if you follow me or gumption on instagram you have already seen some teasers of what topics we're going to be discussing today but i really just want to get right into it because this is going to be such a fun episode i am so very excited about this episode because i have been probably one of the loudest mamma mia enthusiasts in my friend circles since 2015-2016. I saw mamma mia at Playhouse Square in Cleveland when I was in high school and I had recently discovered how much I absolutely adored that movie and me and my two best friends really felt like the aesthetic of the movie, just the amazing vibes kind of embodied our energy of our friend group at the time. And needless to say, it just became an obsession for us, as it did for many people. So when I was a senior in high school, about to go off to college, it's summertime, I'm working, but like really just preparing for this big life change. And Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again is in theaters. I went and saw the movie with Lizzie, her sister, her mom, and my mom, and When I tell you, if the first movie wasn't enough of a paradigm shift for me, this movie changed my life. First of all, I love Lily James. I love almost every movie she's been in, even ones that are kind of out of my genre of liking, because I think she's a phenomenal actress and she has a great name. We know this. But truly, she plays young Donna so well and I just think the fact that they went back in time to tell Donna's story was so impactful and jumping between that and the present time where Sophie is kind of you know experiencing the world without her was a really powerful way to like commemorate the experience of losing a parent whether you're a child or an adult and just give us like this amazing heroine who we already loved from the first movie and seriously like how can you beat Meryl Streep but it made it even better just knowing her backstory and like why she was the way she was. I just want you all to know that on the onset of recording this episode I took to the internet to see what the reviews of Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia Here We Go Again were like from film critics from the film world itself Not that that makes me love it any less, but just to see kind of what the general public thinks about this movie, because I think that's always interesting to inform how we talk about things. And here's why. Particularly for a movie like Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, it is a coming of age story for a young woman who is setting out into the world 
an educated, extroverted, uncompromising young woman. And I think she definitely takes a non-conventional route, which for me was one of the reasons that I find her so inspiring. But it's interesting because the reviews of the film itself and like the plot, the storyline, are not good. And it makes me wonder, who is doing these reviews? Like, is it the intended audience for the film, which I would argue is kind of young women, ABBA lovers, just people looking for a fun, upbeat movie musical? Or is it people who are taking this as like a blockbuster film? So to those people out there who are Mamma Mia haters, or maybe just proclaim themselves to be haters of the jukebox musical, thinking that the plot is contrived, or maybe deriving the storyline from existing music, you know, existing albums is never going to yield something highly original, this is what I have to say. I think the experience of actually filming these movies kind of speaks for itself, because they truly... Like, in all the interviews I've heard from the actors and actresses after the first movie and the second one, they really created something special there in that environment while physically making the movie, and it shows on screen. Like, it shows with the chemistry between all the characters, whether they're romantically involved, friends, family, like, they all clearly love each other, and the cast is clearly very close, and I think that's just, like, not something that you always see, like even on press tours of movies where the chemistry comes across on screen, then you see these people together in real life and you're like, oh, there's some drama, like there's people who don't like each other. Particularly, I'm thinking of Don't Worry Darling and all the drama with that, given that was probably to hype up the PR for that movie anyway, but we won't get into that. If you want to listen about that, go back to my episode with Morgan where we talk about that movie. But just so you don't have to take my word for it, I wanted to include a clip from the Mamma Mia special features, which are on the DVD version of the original movie. I had to do some major surfing in YouTube to find these different clips. But this specific one is Julie Walters, who plays Rosie, talking about the filming process, especially for the dance scenes. In this one, she's talking about Voulez-Vous, which is the big dance scene where Sophie's kind of realizing that all of these men think they're her father. So she was talking about the dance and how fun it was. And I think this just really speaks to the set experience and like what a blast that is. So here's Julie Walters. We can all sort of do it, but it's not something we're not, you know, we're not West End Wendy's. We're not sort of in shows all the time doing musicals. And, you know, so, so it's, we've all had to learn stuff. So that really is bonding. Three women, three girls got together first and started learning voulez-vous, which is really difficult. We couldn't wait for the men to come in because we were go- we'd be told, um, we told Colin that, no, we hadn't learned any of the dances. So, of course, we all looked like we'd learned it really fast. And he was really struggling. It just made us all laugh. And, you know, and Pierce as well. We were sort of having them on. Uh, it's just the most amazing song, and it's the most amazing dance. I just could have gone on shooting it for weeks with these gorgeous male dancers. And the girls are gorgeous as well. But I've got this gorgeous partner, you know, feeling fantastic, whipping me around. I mean, you can't help but move, stomp your feet, and you forget we're actually shooting a movie here. And that voice you heard at the end there is Gary Goatsman, who's one of the producers. And what he said about it didn't really feel like they were shooting a movie, I think, is something that a lot of the actors and actresses have said about the film because it truly 
Like you can tell that they're all drunk. They're all enjoying dancing and singing and being on the beach and like splashing around. And that just looks so much fun. Last thing before we jump back into how you can achieve your own Mamma Mia summer. I really could make like five of these episodes because I have so much content, you guys, but I'll try to keep it short. This is a clip from Christine Bransky, who we know and love. She plays Tanya, and she's just talking about the first movie and its impact and kind of how she thinks the second one will be received in that same vein of the vibe of the movie, what it was trying to accomplish, and yeah, I love the way she puts it in this clip. It's happy and it's sexy and it's sensuous and it's positive and it's utterly optimistic about life and it's everything I think that people need to feel about the world right now. So the crux of this episode is really trying to figure out how you can achieve a Mamma Mia summer. No matter where you are living, no matter what stage of life you are in, I believe that a Mamma Mia summer is accessible to you. But I think it's important to do a little deep dive into the makings of a Mamma Mia summer, if you will. Like, in order to know how we've succeeded, how we've achieved that end goal... We need to analyze, like, what are the components? What are the different parts that make up a Mamma Mia summer? And what is necessary? And what is, like, an optional fun little bonus that you can have? Like, extra points gold star if you are spending your summer in Italy. I'm happy for you. I am not. But that is not necessarily required for a Mamma Mia summer. So I think first things first, let's go into the fashion of this film. Both Mamma Mia films, but particularly Mamma Mia Here We Go Again, are really outlined by this like very fun, colorful sense of fashion. It obviously is in direct correlation to the setting. The island of Calicari, a fictional island in which the story is based, it's supposed to be like a Santorini-type location in Greece, although the films were actually made in split Croatia, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But just the colorful water, all the Greek architecture, the blues, the teals, the greens, like these kind of sparkly iridescent colors that mimic water are really prevalent throughout the film. They're kind of like the color palette of the film, I would say. Lots of floral dresses, like lots of white clothes. It's just very visually pleasing and I feel like has become sort of its own aesthetic as far as the way summer fashion in recent years has gone. That being said, how is the fashion of Mamma Mia 1 and 2 integral to the storyline? I think particularly in the second movie, it plays a really fun role because they definitely play on the ABBA wardrobes a lot in that film. As they're going through the story of Donna's upbringing and her coming of age, and we see the backstory of Donna and the Dynamos, we get to see all the really fun outfits that are an homage, basically, to ABBA's different iconic, iconic 70s and 80s outfits. So, like, one particular outfit I'm thinking of is on her college graduation. She goes up there to give the valedictorian speech, and she's wearing, you know, her cap and gown, just boring, whatever. But you see this little glimpse. She's wearing these amazing go-go boots, these sparkly gold go-go boots underneath the gown. And when she gets up there, she rips off the gown and is wearing this crazy jumpsuit with, like, 
yellow and kind of auburn and orange stripes on the legs and then she has these boots with a star on them and they're just very reminiscent of disco and dance and I think that's like the first moment where we see why this fashion is important to the story because she is an original she is different from everyone else she's not afraid to dress how she wants and she looks damn good in it by the way Before I share more about my personal favorite fashion moments in the movie and why I think they're important, I really wanted to give you a little snippet from the fashion designer herself for this film because there was a lot of thought that went into the design of the costumes and I just found this article really interesting where she was interviewed about it. So this article by Eliza Brooke written for Racked Magazine is called The Mamma Mia Costume Designer Explains How to Dress Like Young Donna. In conversation with Michelle Clapton, who also worked on Game of Thrones, which is very interesting, she discusses how dressing young Donna can be kind of extrapolated out to anyone and their styles. One thing I thought was really fascinating from this was she talks about the scene of why did it have to be me where Donna and young Bill are on the boat and they're dancing and she's wearing this like flowy kind of shirt dress over her denim bathing suit and shorts and she says that this outfit was inspired by a 70s photograph that she saw. She actually replicated the shirt dress and the kind of dungaree type shorts out of this photograph, which I think is just really cool. Another thing, this is a direct quote from Michelle from this article, and I just I just love everything about this. She said, the movie is about a girl who slept with three people and she doesn't know who her father is. I wanted it to be about her as a strong woman and a modern woman and not a victim of this. I wanted her to be in control of the situation. And then she goes on to talk about footwear and how it really is important because it roots someone's character. And then she talked about Game of Thrones and how the Darnies, I don't watch Game of Thrones, so don't come for me, guys always wear boots and trousers so that she can always run away. And she says with Lily James, I never wanted her to be coquettish or weak. So she always wears boots, either the platform boots for her performances or the fry boots, which are the flat kind of like cowboy-esque boots. And then she said, I want women to see her as someone they understand who's relevant to women now as well as then. I love that. I love that. Ultimately, I think something really influential about the fashion of this movie is that you see her recycling an outfit many times, like for many different occasions and different purposes. Donna Sheridan is an outfit repeater, and I mean this in the best way. I think it's very realistic because like, you see the scene where she's packing up for this trip with her friends, they're drinking wine, they're enjoying like their last night together before she goes on this grand adventure, and they're just throwing shit in her suitcase, and she is not like packing multiple bags. She's packing one suitcase, she's bringing the staples, if you will, like a bikini, a pair of boots, a hat, a pair of jean shorts, a dress. Like she's not bringing things that are going to be a one-wear only type of situation because she is going on a one-way flight. She doesn't know when she's going to go back. And that's what I really like about it because there's a couple pieces, the yellow floral long sleeve little button-up vest that she wears. There's also the denim bikini top and the jean shorts, the white 
the white flowy dress top. She wears all of these multiple times in multiple different scenes and that just seems very real and what someone would actually do if they were embarking on this excursion. So I think what we can kind of get from that is finding your style and finding pieces that are going to be staples for your wardrobe that you can pretty much wear with almost anything. You can wear them on any adventure. And I want to just really importantly say here, these don't have to be neutrals. I forget the term that people use to call this. It's like, you know, their wardrobe staples, whatever. And I feel like the misconception is often that this has to be a white tank top, a black t-shirt, like a good pair of jeans. Yes, I am a huge believer that everyone needs a good pair of jeans. Like, there's no doubt about that. Your go-to going out shoes, whatever. But I don't think that your staples of your wardrobe need to be neutrals, if that's not your style. I don't think they need to be boring. They need to be buildable, for sure. Like, you can wear them in several different ways with several different kinds of outfits. They're not tied to one season. They can be colorful. They can have patterns. They can have like a funky texture. Like I just love that about her wardrobe in this that it's not basic, which is like could Donna Sheridan do anything basic? I don't think so. She's kind of the opposite of basic, but I love that that was a component in the movie because it made it feel grounded in reality a little bit like okay, this is a girl who just graduated college and she's going on a trip, not someone who has 25 outfit changes for each day. Like, she is just working with what she's got, okay? And I love that. Also, I think prioritizing comfort, not in the sense of like, you're going to sit home all day and wear your pajamas or your sweatpants. We've all been there. You know, I have that at least once a week, but going on an adventure always puts you in a certain realm of discomfort so being comfortable in what you're wearing and not being like you know tugged or or squished in by it like it fits you properly it's embracing whatever body you have right now that's your summer body huge believer that you don't need to change your body for the summer and that way it's just like you aren't thinking about your clothes when you're on your adventure you are just looking like you you're looking good and you can go out there into the world and do your thing and you're not worrying about your outfit or your clothes like that is number one adventure must right there for those reasons it's really cool that her wardrobe is beautiful it seems to fit her character her personality it fits her lifestyle and it's realistic but it's not boring and that's just like a pillar of having a Mamma Mia summer, in my opinion. So straight from the mouth of the costume designer for this movie, when asked the question, how can you achieve Donna's wardrobe look? This is what she says. She says, get a tiered skirt. You can find them on Etsy. Get a great pair of boots. That's the key. And as we talked about earlier, that really just relates to the accessibility, the ability to do things, not necessarily the look of them, but the freedom that they embody and that they give. And she also says, you can easily add frills to your jeans. I quite like the homemade look. I used to do that when I was younger. People buy everything now. Why don't you adapt clothes to make it look like something? I would say try to do that and root everything with the boots. I really like that. People do just jump to buying something, whether it's mending clothes that you really like that maybe have a hole in them or are have a stain on them or just buying a pair of painted jeans as opposed to trying to paint them yourself like I get that not everyone is 
super artistically talented but I think that those kind of projects like painting jeans or doing a little basic embroidery or adding a patch or something like that can be really fun and make things super unique and you and give it more meaning and more utility and not necessarily just have to be manufactured from buying it from a website or buying it in a store when it's a trend like you can do it anytime and you can make it your own and I think that's one way to achieve that and for our men out there I feel like unbutton the shirts that's kind of the the vibe of Mamma Mia is like the the dress shirt the light linen dress shirt just unbuttoned or if you're going for that bill sailor vibe you can do a striped t-shirt yeah I think just unbutton your shirts boys that's that's the vibe we're getting from the fashion of the men in Mamma Mia And boys, if anyone ever tries to tell you that Mamma Mia is for the girls only, tries to gatekeep it from you, just remind them that Sam, Bill, and Harry are the comic relief of the entire movie. I literally die every time they come on screen, especially when they do the flashback of what they looked like in the 70s. And let me also remind you that 007 himself, Pierce Brosnan, plays our main male lead. So they would not have picked someone like Pierce if they were not trying to appeal to you guys too. So don't forget that. Next, I want to talk about your surroundings because I think the obvious pushback here is how can you have a Mamma Mia summer if you're not living on an island by a body of water like these people are? Because this is something I've been thinking about too. Even as a Clevelander, I live by a huge body of water, that being Lake Erie. So, I mean, I have a two-minute drive if I want to go swim in the lake or see the sunset over the water or go on a boat or whatever. But I know that's not the case for most people, so I want to explore how to make your surroundings reflect this Mamma Mia vibe, whether or not you're living in a city, in the country, more of a deserty area, by water. Like, what is it about the setting that makes the film so captivating and allows her to have her moment? I think, first of all, you need to find a karaoke bar. And you may think I'm being ironic here, but I'm truly not because the experience of going out and doing karaoke with your closest friends is truly unmatched on a night out. After a couple drinks are in you and you want to get up there and sing your favorite song at the top of your lungs in the worst possible way that you can, that is just like peak joy. And it also is entertaining for everybody else in the bar. Now, I know there's some listeners who can actually sing here, and I want to say good for you. I'm happy for you that you can sing, but I cannot. And so I think it's important to differentiate that karaoke and performance are two different things. While they do share some elements, like your karaoke bar situation doesn't even have to have a stage. It doesn't have to have a properly working microphone. You just need to be able to get up there and sing along to a song with no words, with your besties, and that will capture one aspect of this setting. Because the scene in Mamma Mia, here we go again, where Donna and the Dynamos go up on the little stage in the Italian restaurant. And Italian restaurant? It's a Greek restaurant because they're in Greece. What am I even saying? I think I thought Italian because the restaurant owner reminds me of my great-grandma, who is Italian. But anyway, I digress. That is a really transformative moment in the film. And obviously, it being a movie musical, there are songs throughout where they're just moving through the setting and singing and dancing. But this is almost like breaking the fourth wall in the sense that 
The movie was derived from the songs of ABBA, who are performers, and this is the backstory of why Donna is a performer and how she got her start. And that's a key point in the film. So find yourself some besties to go do karaoke with and find a karaoke bar. Sometimes there might even be ABBA-themed dance parties or Mamma Mia-themed dance parties. I know that if you're local to the Cleveland area, we have the wonderful Mahal's, which is a bowling alley, bar, restaurant, concert venue, and like dance room. I don't even know what to call it because it's kind of all of these things in one, but it's 70s themed. They have weekly dance parties for 18 and up that are themed like Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus, Disney throwbacks. Murphy and I went to the ABBA one and it was so much fun because everyone was dressed up as like 70s Mamma Mia vibe and they just played ABBA hits and 70s hits and it was a freaking blast. And that's what I'm saying. Like you need to get yourself into that setting because it is just going to open up your heart in ways you could not possibly imagine. Finally, creating your living space to really reflect your personality and your lifestyle and look the way you want it is important too. And here's why. In the second movie, Donna refurbishes this entire house on the hill. And this becomes very important to the plot, but basically throughout her process of redoing this house that then becomes the hotel that Sophie is responsible for taking care of after Donna's passing, it just brings out this new sense of her, this challenge that she wants to tackle to restore this place to its beauty and its potential. And while I definitely think that's a metaphor for many things, I think actually physically making the space like that is very important to her development because as we see, when she gives birth to Sophie, it's in that very house she experiences heartbreak in that house. She experiences that sense of you're on your own, that freedom in the house. And it really starts to look like her almost with the colors, the way she dresses, like you can see the the thoughtfulness and the touch that has gone into everything. And so I think we can apply that to our own lives in the sense that like, whether you're living at home, whether you've moved out, you're in your own place, Even if you're renting an apartment and you don't feel like you can do a lot of stuff, like your space matters and it's very important to make it your own and make it beautiful in whatever way that means to you, like whatever style appeals to you. Because if you're going to be spending time somewhere, it really influences you a lot. Hang stuff on your walls, paint your walls, do some DIY projects, update some things in your space, make a vision board, you know. Buy a weird piece of furniture, go thrifting, find some crazy antiques like a weird butter holder or a funky salt shaker or something. Like these things are going to make your space more you. And I just think that the minimalist trend we have been seeing over the past few years is absolutely gut wrenchingly awful. And while it looks good on an Instagram grid, It is not practical for everyday life in the sense that, like, things get dirty. Not everything can be perfectly white, smooth, and clean. And finally, it's boring. We need color. We need weirdness. We need items that make us think about where we got them. They make us think about their story. And I just don't think that 
these clean girl aesthetic vibes are allowing us to see the value of weird things in our spaces. So make your space weird. Make it your own. Redo shit. Paint shit. If you don't like it, paint it over it. Like it doesn't matter in the sense that you're going to have to change it later because you can always change your mind and update it with your style as you grow as a person. But having your space the way you want it right now is like really important to your development because it's granting yourself the ability to say like, I may not be at my fullest potential right now. I may be in a weird spot in life, but I deserve living in a place I love that makes me feel at home and comforted and calm or excited and inspired or whatever. I don't deserve that any less, no matter where I am. So I think it's important to like really honor that by pouring your energy and time into your space. Finally, our last pillar of what makes a Mamma Mia summer. And if I might say, this one is truly the most important. And this is relationships. Now, I'm going to take this in three ways because obviously we have the romantic relationship aspect of both of these films that's very influential to the plot. However, friendship is one of the biggest themes and then relationship with the self. So we'll start off with the romantic relationships of the film. In the original Mamma Mia, we have this storyline of Sophie and Skye who are young and in love and obsessed with each other and they're getting married. And Donna is conflicted about this because of her own shortcomings about the way that Sophie has grown up really fast and she hasn't had a relationship with her father. And, you know, obviously this is because Donna doesn't know who her father is, but it's a point of conflict between Donna and Sophie because she just feels like she doesn't want her to like rush into this and the stress of planning the wedding and all this brings that to a head in the movie. But I really like the representation of romantic love because we have this young first love okay and it's definitely innocent but also like sexy and it's kind of immature it's still forming but that doesn't invalidate it it is something very relatable that a lot of us go through but then we also have donna coming at it from a wiser perspective having lost the love of her life thinking she's never going to see him again having for lack of a better term ghosted two other men that she was attracted to or liked or loved or whatever but they weren't the one. And so she's got this cynicism and skepticism about love that I think we all also have as we pick up throughout our relationships and our experiences. So to see her have that love that comes back to her as a second chance type of love is really rewarding because you see the pain and the heartbreak that was experienced in between and obviously all these years have gone by but their love is still powerful and that is really cool. I love that she gets that happy ending because I think when you meet someone and you're just so magnetic together and it doesn't work out for whatever reason, like there's always kind of the thought in your mind, this possibility might still be there if things go a certain way. So I love that for her and I think all love is valid no matter how long it's been, all the shit that's happened, like as long as someone is willing to treat you the way that you deserve to be treated, then your love doesn't have to look the same as anybody else, which I love. Love, love, love. I just said love like 50,000 times. The friendships, though, are like really, I think, the core of the story because they show that 
throughout all this time where her, and I'm speaking about Donna here, where her love has been fluctuating. She's been a single mom. She's been running this hotel by herself. She's overworked. She's kind of lonely, but that doesn't take away from who she is. It's not victimizing her in any way. Throughout all of that, her friends have been there for her. I just have to say that the characters of Tanya and Rosie are probably my favorite part in both movies, especially in the first movie. They just bring so much humor and so much energy. And I feel like even as a three-person friend group, they capture all the different personality differences that you tend to have among your friends. There's the friend who's pulling you out of bed when you're crying and have been in sweats eating ice cream for the last three days, not wanting to see the outside world. That's the Tanya. There's the friend who is a little bit self-deprecating, self-loathing, like just wants to eat cake and complain. And that's Rosie. And then there's the extroverted friend who is introducing you to her friends, bringing you on adventures and always seeing the good in you and recognizing that. And that's Donna. And without each other, they're each missing an important piece. So I think like the way that they complement each other is very indicative of how friend groups actually are healthy friend groups because I do think sometimes when you have an imbalance of a friend group it is like the worst comes out of people but also I like that Donna is kind of the clear head of this group she's the most outgoing the most take charge e out of the three of them and she's the lead singer of the dynamos and yet there's not tension like real deep-seated tension. There are some funny little jealousy moments between Rosie and Donna, just about all the hot guys that she keeps getting, which like is so real. We've all been there. Like, what the heck? Why does this one girl get all these hot dudes? And I don't. It's a very relatable feeling. At the end of the day, they all support each other. And that's what is so beautiful about their friendships because they all are so different, but the friendship is never in question. They're always there for each other. They're willing to stand up for each other. It's just a given. It's an assumed fact. The best friendships sort of operate like that. Even if you don't live in the same place and you haven't seen each other in a while, you know you could call that person. You know they would be there for you in a breakup or a heartbreak or someone dies. They're going to be there for you because they're a real one and that's just how it is. So depicting that kind of healthy friendship is just so joy-inducing. Also to me, this particular thing I'm about to say was really life-changing. And it was great to see as someone who had just graduated high school when that second movie came out and when I was younger, but especially when you're going into college, I do feel like senior year of high school has a unifying aspect on most people like it brings together a class it brings together a lot of friends that maybe weren't as close throughout the years and it leaves you with all these acquaintances that going off to college you don't really know who your real friends are going to be so I think seeing this wonderful amazing inspiring woman like Donna having just two friends like she literally has two friends her two best friends. That's all she needs. And that was like, whoa, okay, I don't need to entertain 
all these random relationships out of guilt or obligation, whatever the reason, you just need your core people. It's hard not to be insecure about not having a lot of friends because social media and everything just tells us we need to have, everyone needs to be obsessed with us and they need to be in love with us and they need to, we have have to have a huge friend group and some people do and that's wonderful. But having your two or three core friends that support you in your relationship, they support you in your career, they support you in your crazy wild adventures and your dreams, like those are the people that you need to be surrounded by and I think it's impossible to embody this Donna Sheridan type energy without that. And even taking it a step further, in the first Mamma Mia, we see that Sophie also has two really close friends that she is preparing for the wedding with. And I love that because it shows how impactful this friendship can be. Like, it's multi-generational in its repetition she saw these friends of her mom's who were like her aunts and now she has seeked out sucked out no that's not seeked sought (laughs) she has sought out those friendships for herself and worked off of that precedent that her mom had set for her and that's really beautiful like that's super cool to think about your friendships could last a lifetime and if you nurture them properly like These people could experience so many things with you and then one day if you want to have children, your children could see that and be inspired by it too and seek out friendships that are like that. And finally, the relationship to the self is really important in both of these films because we see Sophie as the protagonist in the first movie being very sure of herself. She is going through this crisis of realizing there are three men that could be her father. That's a big deal. That's like an identity crisis waiting to happen. And so she's questioning who is she more like? Whose talents does she have? All these different aspects of these men, kind of which ones have been passed down to her. Ironically, she has a bit of all of them because one of the themes that the movie's trying to communicate is like, It doesn't really matter who her father is, actually who her biological father is, because all these men were loves of her mother. A little bit of each of them has trickled down into her personality through her mom and her mom's experiences, and that just speaks to like that maternal bond. Ultimately, Sophie's crisis is that she wants to know who her father is, and she's getting married. Like, there's just so much going on. She's trying to figure all this out. She still emulates this strong young woman energy and after a recent rewatch of the movie i realized that she's only 20 years old which is crazy because i'm 23 (laughs) she is so young and i remember being 20 and it was like some crazy shit was happening in my life at the time like i had a near-death experience i had tons of men in play as far as like situationships I was in a weird place academically, like I was in a weird place health-wise, like it was just a lot. The number 20 just seems to be really monumental. I'm 20, I'm in my decade of like adventure and love and all these fun things and I gotta step up my game. So to see her experiencing all those things and still staying true to herself, even standing up to her mom about the wedding and the the pushback that she's gotten from it, like she knows that this man is the love of her life, that she wants to marry him. And she's going to do it. Maybe she's young. Maybe she's naive. But she's like, I know. I'm secure in myself. I'm going to do that. 
Then we see where she got this from, from her mother being this young dynamo who's setting out into the world with no plan, but she has a dream. She has a feeling and intuition that she follows that is really strong and she wants to chase it and she makes the best possible life for herself. The fact that she doesn't try to do it to impress anyone, she's just doing it because she knows this is her destiny, that's really amazing and it also shows throughout all these relationships with guys not to say there aren't ups and downs but she remains true to her personality she remains true to herself and ultimately her dream she's not just going to whisk off with some guy and never come back because that's not what she wanted to do so to give a little recap what are the things you can do to achieve your peak mama mia summer first and foremost dressing for your adventure that is to be had dressing like you dressing comfortably not being boring recycling pieces not just buying something maybe making it or mending it or embellishing it all those aspects giving you the freedom to go live out your adventure and not be tied down to your clothes that's our first pillar of a mama mia summer you are just doing you living your lifestyle to the fullest and looking sexy while doing it. That's number one. Number two is optimizing your setting. Finding a karaoke bar that you can go let loose at. Finding a dance floor and getting the frick out there in your favorite shoes or your go-go boots. Making your space at home feel inspiring and happy and joyful and not boring and you so that you can be fully yourself in that space and enjoy the time that you spend there. And bonus points if you can do it by a body of water because as we know, Mamma Mia is a very summer aesthetic vibe. Going swimming, going snorkeling, going pearl diving, going on a boat, going sailing, jet skiing, anything water related is only going to enhance your Mamma Mia summer tenfold. Finally, and definitely, definitely most importantly, evaluating the relationships in your life and If they're not aligning with this full support, full accountability, joy, fun, adventurousness, multi-generational, lasting life friendships, they gotta go. On the romantic relationships note, obviously the most direct interpretation of a Mamma Mia Summer is having multiple people in play, having multiple love interests. People that serve different things for you. They appeal to different parts of your personality, different interests of yours, different lifestyles. That is wonderful. You go for it. But another way to interpret that, I think, is revisiting something that maybe was really important to you in your past and you grew apart, but there's an opportunity to rebond that connection, like Donna and Sam in the first movie. Maybe stepping out of your comfort zone, like being with someone who surprises you and is like, whoa, I wouldn't see myself with that person really, but having experiences with them and going out on dates with them. And if you're in a long-term relationship like me, just shaking it up, like keeping it fun, doing things together that are different and continuing to simulate that falling in love stage where everything is new by creating those opportunities and adventures for yourself and not letting it get stagnant. It's ever-growing, it's ever-evolving, 
it's silly, it's lighthearted, and most important, it is never boring. Okay guys, we are coming up on the home stretch of the episode here, and like I said before, I could do probably five of these, but I want to leave you with one of my favorite lines from the movie. This is from Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. This is young Donna, one of her shining moments, and I just want to let this be the last part of the episode because this speech, monologue, whatever you want to call it, really had a personal impact on me, and I think it's shaped my life since I've seen this movie. Where will you go? Anywhere. Everywhere. Life is short. The world is wide. I want to make some memories. In other words, you're leaving us. I never would. I was just putting out feelers for our future. And then it proceeds to go into the cutest song I've ever heard. It's called I Wonder, and it's actually a deleted scene. But at one point, it was like my designated flying home or flying to school song because it just really gave me a lot of courage and made me feel like emotional, but also excited for the future and ready for whatever next adventure life had in store for me. So gumptioneers, that is all I have for episode 18. Thank you for listening this far. Thank you for your participation. I had so many people give me awesome suggestions of what they wanted to hear about in this episode, either through my stories or commenting on the post or texting me in a group chat. It was so awesome, the energy that rallied around this one. I know that I am going to be re-watching both of these movies at the next moment that I get the chance because I'm really just feeling like after all this research and behind the scenes video watching, I want to watch the magic happen all over again. In the episode description, I linked the sister playlist to this episode, which is called Whoop All Night, as inspired by the little greeting that the Dynamos do in the first movie. And it is songs inspired by Mamma Mia, so not necessarily just songs from the soundtrack, but songs from... Italian artists or like just kind of that Mediterranean vibe, fun summer clubbing vibes. I also linked a playlist that is one of my regular rotation on Spotify. It's simply called Both Mamma Mia's and Chikatita. And it is exactly that because Chikatita is not on the soundtrack for whatever reason. They did not choose to include that absolute banger. So this person just put both soundtracks together and it's so nice because when you hit shuffle, you can like listen to both albums and that one special song. And finally, I also linked my Mamma Mia summer Pinterest board. It's been really inspiring for me to work on this episode and make that. So I hope that it can inspire you to sort of determine your summer vibe and your goals as well. And I linked in the description one of the behind the scenes videos. They're all posted on YouTube by the same user. So if you click on one, you can kind of find the rest of them. But I laughed and learned a lot while watching them. So maybe you will too. But that's it, guys. Love you all. Bye.